0: In this episode, Chris and I are going to discuss the idea of balance, that is, in character creation and in counter design that is so common in, in games now. We'll look a little bit at the history of this idea, we'll attempt to nail down a definition of it, and then provide our thoughts about it in general. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection, and sometimes disconnect, Between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. So have you done any gaming since last we talked? What was the
1: last episode we did? The vampire one? Uh, No, we did the Quick Homeworld one. It's irrelevant. I haven't done any games. <laughs> I okay. I All right. Well, that makes life easy. Neither have uh, I. No, because Scott is busy for two weeks. So I was hoping to see Brian and do some mini stuff. Uh, and I haven't even done that. So no, I've done, I have done no gaming since my previous vampire session. Zero, whatever it's called now.
0: Uh, it's funny. I was supposed to last week run a, uh, like a, a demo session of Octoon Cthulhu at this new game store that opened up like a mile and a half, not even a mile and a half from my house. That's so cool. And, uh, I went over there and the guy who runs the place apologizes like, Oh, I forgot to tell you, like nobody signed up and we're all full <laughs> of card players tonight. So it was all these, like it, the place was packed. It's this tiny little store. But it was packed with people all playing collectible card games, which I don't do. So um, I left. But there was a guy there in a Sepultura t-shirt. So I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. You know, as long as you have some like metal heads interspersed throughout the gamers, you know that it's legit. You know that it's a legit gathering of gamers if there is some kind of obscure metal reference. Other musical genres are available. Mm-hmm. no. They are, it, it, but they should it, be avoided. It, it, They're only there uh, as as
1: uh, cautionary tales. It is a bit. It's just a bit stereotypical that if you listen, if you play role playing games, you have to listen to me. Well, if you're from the '80s
0: and you 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 played D and I mean, all you had to do is listen to Dio, and and you know that was it. It was like see, see, when we I started about the same playing
1: stuff, role play games in the '80s and then into the '90s. I didn't listen to metal. I didn't start listening to metal till I was at, till I was at uni. And then, and then after that, I didn't role play for years anyway. So yeah, Hmm. I never, I never really had that massive overlap between. them.
0: Oh, I did. Well, today we're going to, I haven't done any gaming either. Also part of my group was out, uh, for various reasons. And so what I did is I asked the two players who did show up, if they wanted to help me prepare for this episode. So what we did was we made characters. We made characters for Dungeons and Dragons Basic using its rules only. We made Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition characters. We made Gamma World First Edition characters. Uh, we made Star Frontiers uh, Alpha Dawn, you know, uh, original uh, boxed set, um, which is also known as Alpha Dawn. Later, uh, we made characters for that. And then we vaulted forward and made Dune characters. And that was very confusing by comparison.
1: Like you may have skipped a few generations yes. of, uh, yeah, things.
0: Yeah, we did. We were going to make traveler characters, but then we started to get tired because we're all old. So
1: we gave up. I think we're making, because we, obviously we said we're going to talk about balance. We've yes. already decided there's two clear ways where you can talk about balance. One is in characters. It's not just creation, is it? It's also, it's also in, in as they level up. Yeah, because level one characters probably are balanced in most systems because they're rubbish. They're like they're well, all rubbish. It,
0: it's it, so so we're going to separate this. We'll talk about this foggy notion of balance yeah. and we're going to separate it into character creation and character growth. Call it that yeah. and but then also encounter design. Yes. So what do you So first off? What in the heck is what's our working definition of balance anyway? I mean,
1: I, again, we really need to look into this let's so let's start with the character stuff and we can come okay. on to the encounter stuff I think when we talk for me, if we're talking about balance, it would be that every character is sort of equally equally useful now in something like d and d where it comes to a lot of combat, that's like each of those characters is is doing as much, and the, I think where we go people go wrong with it straight away is a lot of people consider balance to be if they deal equal amounts of damage, but then straight away off the bat, well, that doesn't work because a cleric shouldn't be doing damage. They should be doing healing or you know tanking hits. And then maybe that's not, that's not like sexy and cool, but that's valuable. So I think sh- straight away when people are really obsessed with balance, you know, th- you know, this thing isn't as good as this other thing. That's when we talk about balance. So balance, I really should be four people are all playing different things and they all are equally happy that, they are contributing to the group fairly. That, that would be balanced for characters. Um, yeah, I think it's hard because I think you make a good point that
0: just if all the characters are, are if, the, if the, the mechanical output, especially in something really concrete like combat, if the mechanical output of every single character is the same, you end up with. Boring, yes. I think, and that, and then, and I won't go into this a bunch, but I think that's one of the places where Fourth Edition D and D went horribly wrong. Is they just every character at at its at some point or another was the same. So it, it and the output of it was the same. But when I think of balance in character creation and character growth, uh, and, and I'm not trying to add a judgment to this, like do I like it or not, but it is the sense that there is. A degree of quantifiable mechanical um, similarity or sameness some however the game quantifies things all the characters say at, at you know once they, they, they first start off they're all they're, there's a way that you can quantifiably say these are comparable like maybe a, a similar mechanical input which then looks different based on what you do with that that similar mechanical input like a point buy or something like that but that that sameness it's interesting because the reason I went back this last saturday night and and asked my players to to do what we ended up doing is i i obviously hadn't made characters for these ancient games in a really long time and i barely know how. i mean i had to review the rules and they they make no sense like first edition <laughs> DD out of that basic set with the the color front and the blue front rulebook. It they, <laughs> I
1: looked at them after a while, and I'm like, "How did this game ever take off? Because it makes no sense." because so obviously, I haven't I haven't played that version or first edition Advanced D and i I've played second edition, and I've played like what I considered at the time was the original Dungeons and Dragons. But it's not. It's, you know, I did. I was with there with the the sort of the second lot of the red blue. Yeah, red blue. What was com- what was companion? Oh, light blue. i oh, stupid. Why didn't it have a different color? And then black for master. Um, so does original DD still have the weird things like where where the races were a character? Yes. Yeah, and they maxed out what like level ten or something. Well, okay, two different things. And and
0: this is this I think this is fascinating. In original Dungeons and Dragons, uh, races were in many cases classes. If you wanted yeah. to play an elf, you'd play an elf, Fight an elf, An elf, which was, which in terms of the elf's abilities, was some kind of a, a mushy combination of a fighting man, as it was called, and a magic user. That's what. Okay, that's what it was, like. it was like a mushy music. combination yeah. of the two. Humans could be anything, but the other races, hobbits included, by the way, hobbits are listed in the. Uh, are they called hobbits in that before? Yes, the they got changed to Desist. halflings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the interesting thing about this original box set is that it only went up to level three.
1: So yes, there were level caps and level things that were yeah.
0: addressed in the original AD and D players handbook level caps by, by race and class combination that, uh, that, that were not even addressed in the original D and D because it just, it capped out at, at third level, everything capped out at third level in that box.
1: The other thing I remember, is similar to that, I mean, this is in then second edition, where um, you could obviously in, in D, advanced D and D, which then advanced D and D second, eventually stopped putting advanced on the front of it, um, was you could obviously you could mix at that point race and class, mm-hmm. but am I right in thinking that humans could dual class, but only non-humans could multi class, or is it the other something that? I like that I don't remember. But so there, I'm there sure were all there, kinds
0: a, of, there were there were all kinds of strange yeah which is like why in in the in D&D what was known then later known as D&D Basic and D&D and Advanced D&D uh, there were all kinds of limitations on class race combinations and class race level limits and some of those were based out of um like stats and things like that like if you you know as a fighting or a fighter you you know you were capped based on race or potentially your stats for what level but, um, but back to this thing of, of balance, you know, and I look back in these original books and there is absolutely no, there is not even, a, it's not even like we're not paying attention to that. It's like that concept is not even, it's, it's not anywhere. You roll your stats, three die six, and now what's interesting is I had, I had maybe misremembered the idea of rolling straight down the line. Like you rolled each stat and you didn't get to assign them. That could be, in the original uh, Dungeons & Dragons rulebook, that could be taken as the way to do it by implication. I I tried to read really closely and push aside memory and read only what was there. I think you could take it either way. But But at the end of the day, you roll three die six for each stat and that's it. So you can end up with really sucky or really great, yeah. although it does say that if you, that your character should be uh, a cut above, and so you should have at least two stats of 15 or over. But it doesn't say, it doesn't provide a, a, a guarantee to have that, nor does it even say, eh, you ought to go back and re-roll your character if you have all single
1: digits. That but I think it's, it's unlikely you're going to roll it up. two, because even with using 4d6 drop the lowest, mm. You can end up with only two stats of 15 or higher. So 15 on 3D6, that's pretty, that's quite, that's quite difficult getting to it then.
0: But the, but the point though, is that there, there's, there's no, there, the, the, the idea of, let's see of four players sitting around a table, making their characters, um, there is absolutely no, not even a nod toward any kind of guidance or guarantee that that the number of points they're going to have across their stats are going to be the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the funny things, because I think obviously we can see that D and D progress more into this idea of balance. I don't know about second. I mean, I, I play second edition, you know, reasonable Mount and there was definitely stuff in there that was, that was imbalanced, but it was like, you know, if you pick this or that, I mean, when they brought out those kit books mm-hmm. and you can add a kit onto it, well, some of those clearly were, were not balanced, but then everyone could do it. So it kind of did it matter. Um, I think in third edition, I mean, I know third edition is the one I skipped, but third edition is the one that fans, people talk about where the balance was really bad because, you know, you're essentially got all the same problem. Fifth edition had this as well. The whole thing of where they talk about the linear fighter and the quadratic wizard, where Essentially, as you level up, the fighter might get a second attack, and he might get a third attack, and maybe at level twenty or something, you get a fourth attack. But you're still only hitting with a sword that does, I know, plus four damage. Whereas the wizard is at level one. Yeah, they're firing magic missiles. But then at level five, they get third level spells, always a big deal because now you get fireball, and right. it's, you know you can. And the, actually, the fireball itself does a ton of damage, but you can hit multiple people with it. Yep. And then at level, you know, then you go up the level, you have meteor swarm and you know death. And so on, finger of death, and interesting so the damage thing. massively scales up. But I mean, what you? Because what do you want? Do you want? Because obviously, that clearly then that isn't balanced. And like you know, examples like at, at level one, things like paladins seem better than everybody else because paladins can fight and heal and wear decent armor and they probably get a bunch of other cool stuff. But-
0: However, in AD&D, being able to be a paladin without cheating. <laughs> which seems to undercut the whole idea of the lawful good paladin that you cheated to get there. You like lied on your application. Uh, there are, I forget what your, your charisma had to be like 16 or 17 yes. or something like that. So I, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I know that. No, this- no, I think you're
1: right. They had to have like a part of the reason paladins would be good is to be a paladin. You needed like high wisdom, charisma, strength, constitution, I mean, not all of those were class requirements, but to be an effective Paladin, your stat array had to be so over the top yep. um, that basically you would be insanely good anyway. I mean, that's one of those things where, again, we can see in later editions of D&D, they brought in this idea of like a stat array that you wouldn't roll because that could be unbalanced. You would all take a, you know, a set amount of things. Now, you've mentioned it already, the pinnacle of the idea of balance for D&D. And D&D is a good example because... Most games do not have, we'll talk about other things that aren't D&D, but D&D uses classes and the idea, if you've got classes, then you should be able to, in a leveling system more importantly, you should be able to make sure that at each level, each class is somewhat balanced. Mm-hmm. And which is why you've already mentioned fourth edition. So fourth edition had the crazy thing of having, well, you know, particularly for combat, you have an at-will, you have a couple of at-will powers and some encounter powers and then a, is it a daily power? Yeah. And that's what happened as you leveled up. So actually when you became a wizard, if you were a wizard, yes, you might got to do more area or text spells, but then the fighters could do all this other cool. And everybody, on the one hand, you could look at it as everybody got to do something quite interesting. But the other way of looking at it is that, well, it, because, every, you know, it's, quite, it's, it's the Incredibles thing. If everyone is super, then no one is. Right. And that's, that's what fourth edition did. It's yeah. like, yeah, there was all this cool stuff, but because everybody had similar cool stuff, Um, it, it took, you know, it became a bit boring also making a character in that system became impossible at higher levels because you, if you didn't have the software to do it, you, you couldn't do it. Um, I still think this way in, in terms of the actual combat, if you want a really tight, well-designed combat simulator, fourth edition is probably one of the better systems. Sure. But if you want well, other stuff, in a then... way,
0: fourth edition, if you look at it from the angle of if you treat it like just a skirmish game, fourth yeah. edition in some ways is comparable to something like 40K. Yeah, yeah. Or Warhammer, where you, oh, here's my army. My army was worth this many points. So you have you have, you know, competitors playing against one another who have built these forces based on a certain number of points. There's perfect balance, at least in terms of (laughs) the mechanical. It's not. But I mean, at least everyone shows up with the same amount of mechanical inputs. Now, how they use those and how they create synergy between them is based on their experience and their creativity and their intelligence as gamers. And I mean, I think the same thing happened to a lesser extent with fourth edition, but definitely with third edition and definitely with Pathfinder, with all the stinking feats. You had books and books and like, you know, 200, 400, 500 line spreadsheets, it seemed, of feats. And you're always find, trying to find these like perfect synergies. So here's an interesting thing about the idea of balance. Actually, before I go into that, I want to remind you this: to be a paladin in AD&D, you had to have a strength of not a minimum twelve, intelligence minimum nine, wisdom minimum thirteen, minimum constitution of nine, and a minimum charisma of seventeen.
1: And so, at that's least you didn't need Dex, huh? At least you didn't need Dex. So that's right. That's, that's, that's right.
0: You could be lumbering and slow, but you had to be charismatic but um the interesting thing about this this idea of balance is that even in the early you know call it earlier attempts uh like you know i you know when when the idea of a a standard the standard stat array became a thing i became aware of that with third edition and that was a big thing in pathfinder it made character creation easy people wouldn't fight over it people wouldn't groan over rolling a bunch of crappy numbers but again, it's common mechanical inputs that everybody uses. But then, then that that I think at first level, in those games, you, the if the goal is, as you said, a, a balance, a balanced group of characters, they will be different, but they will all have some kind of arguably comparable potential to contribute yeah. to things going on. Now, obviously, that's that's gonna that's gonna vary based on player creativity and experience. I think that the idea of levels providing a common growth experience for each character tries to maintain that balance. But at the same time, you will always have player creativity and you know i i have one player who's just he's he's expert at breaking games and he doesn't <laughs> do it intentionally he's just a really sharp is that you no joe is just really sharp at finding and exploiting those those mechanical holes and yeah, so I there's i mean you, you you get up to fifth or sixth level and if you have a, a player who's not really paying close attention or spending, spending lots of time figuring out the funky synergies between in third edition land, their feats and their prestige classes and their blah, 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 and all that stuff. Uh, and then someone who's, you know, really dumping a lot of time into that. And you could have the same mechanical inputs available to both players and have radically different characters. This whole, like, cult of the optimized build in Pathfinder land that people, like, really, really get into, it seems. Yeah, that, that was the thing that really
1: put me off Pathfinder was kind of realizing if you had to play, if kind of like it was almost designed to be playing at that level. So if right. you follow a thing and you're, you don't know how to optimize your characters, then you end up with stuff that isn't good. But at the same time, it is quite good fun to make. I remember me and Brian going, well, right, we're just going to make two we're gonna Level 10, we're just going to make two ridiculous characters. I think you made like a barbarian who was then carrying an, like you carry like a sort of giant sized sword. So yes, you get a penalty to attack with it, but then instead of rolling, like, I know, 2d6 for your damage, you get to roll, like, 2d8 or 2d10 or something. And then at that level, you're, if your strength's high enough, then the fact that you've got a penalty to hit, you don't care. And, like, I made a gunslinger that just had silly stats and feats, like you said, in such a way that, like, you know, it doesn't matter. The, or maybe we did it the other way around and like maybe you, know, you picked a class that had multiple arms so it didn't matter that you ho- you know you have to reload with one hand can you go well these two arms can reload this gun and these two arms can reload this gun and then it becomes like it's a game thing yeah i think th- the thing to me when that happens i mean like when i've played the sort of me and brian playing this sort of gm less d and d recently and we were playing fifth edition which you know, people say our oh, fifth edition is way more balanced, and it's like it's not as balanced as 4e. Yes, it's maybe no. better than Pathfinder, but actually, the reason it's more balanced is there's less feet. there's less ways of breaking the game yep. because of that. It's not balanced. The thing that I never really worry so much about D and D is kind of like right, what what is the focus of a role playing game? Of like a and D role playing, having fun, right? Well, then everyone, as long as everyone's having fun. Does it matter? Yes, you know, this rogue is going Every time the rogue is going to attack, they one shot some guy, but they only get to kill one guy. Yes, when the wizard throws a fireball, they take out a whole horde of people, but well, that doesn't work against the dragon. You know, but you, do, yeah, the fighter, okay, he's a bit naff, but does that fighter tank hits for everybody else? Yes. Well, then he's doing a thing and he gets to be important. If everybody gets to play their character and have fun playing their character, that, to me, is the most important thing in a sure role-playing game. And so this idea about, you know, oh, this isn't... I mean, yes, it, obviously it's no fun if you're playing a character that is just flat-out rubbish. And I think that's one of the things in D&D doesn't happen very often. It's like, it can, like you said, it can happen in Pathfinder. In something like, you know, say, 5th edition, you would struggle now to make a character that's uninteresting because they've kind of got this rule like, oh, at every level, you should get something.
0: Right, and that was a Pathfinder thing. That was actually one of the, call it innovations of Pathfinder over third edition 3.5 is that they wanted to ensure and they were explicit about that in their beta uh rules that something interesting something happens at every character level yeah i think that it, it, it's interesting again going back to these original ones uh dungeons and dragons on the edge of the box it says the original adult fantasy role-playing game
1: that sounds like something very different. That sounds very different to me. Okay, so... <laughs> I think the, the the dungeon sounds about right.
0: I don't want to... Yeah, different I'm not going kind of there. Dungeon. Anyway, so... Uh, but what's fascinating is in those rules, it actually says that basically your fighting man, that's what the class was called, is going to be far more useful and your magic user is going to basically suck for a long time. But then that, those yeah. that's going to be flipped. And so that was baked into it. It was assumed that, you know, by by their vision, a young person who was spending all his or her time studying magic was not going to be very tough for a long time. Whereas someone who started off with sword and board and a helmet was going to be more effective earlier, but would top out sooner. Like those story conceits were accepted in that... uh, in that version, and even to an extent in, in AD&D. Um, and so the, the idea of, uh, like I said, of balance, is there, there is nothing like that, like yeah. that in, in character um, character creation. And the, the expectation that even at a given level, your character will be equally as effective or could be labeled as equally effective, which is kind of subjective anyway, as compared to another character. I, so I it's just that the whole the, the whole idea didn't even exist in the yeah. earliest years no, and, I think and now I'm going to hold up another book and this is Mongoose Traveler second edition but I mean Traveler the first you know arguably the first science fiction role playing game late 70s and the first game of which I'm aware that had what we would call like a life path system
1: yeah you played traveler no cuz just no no i never have no. Have you I'm ever seen people it.
0: walking around with goofy
1: T-shirts that say like you haven't you haven't played a role-playing game until you've died during character creation? To be fair, you can die during character. In fact, Brian's role, Brian's character in Infinity did die in character creation, but then you just get to come back as a I don't know whatever it's called when you get you put your mind in another body. Right, you get so to be in like a can, blender or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, you can. No, in the original in, Traveler, as well.
0: in fact, up until That's, this month, up, up until Mongoose got it. <laughs> You could die during character creation because you you roll e- each Second. you decide how many four year terms of service after the age of eighteen your character does before you start Second. adventuring. So here's a fascinating thing about a game like Traveller, which was huge and had many different. You know, Traveller and then Mega Traveller, Traveller new the new era, and then Traveller Fourth Edition, the Horrid Nightmare of Traveller Fifth Edition, so on and so on and so on. All of those versions. Built in there, it's actually I would say compared to what balance in character creation is in general nowadays, it's actually like anti-balance hmm. because you as a player decide how many terms you want to try, and in the new game, if you if you die, you just sustain an injury and they, they you roll out of the service. But the idea is like, hey, I could have a character who's like 26 years old and has only served two terms, and I'm not going to have that many skills. Whereas someone else at the same table could have a character in his 40s or fi- 40s or 50s who might start to, to taper off in like his physical attributes, but is going to have way more skills, and so and more money, and maybe yeah. a ship. And I've got nothing but this this kind of vaporous idea of, of potential, which isn't quantified at all. So I find interesting that even today traveler is it's anti-balance because yeah.
1: you you choose how far how experienced your character is going to be starting off i mean obviously like go when come on to the 2d 20 there's another big bunch of ways you can make characters. we will come to but so obviously 2d 20 started off with kind of a life path thing. mutant chronicles infinity Conan and have a cut well not so much conan but both mutant chronicles and infinity have like a life path thing whereas similar you you ha- can have a first crit and then you're going to have a second one yep um which means your characters don't start off necessarily. But even if there's kind of a thing like, oh, when you're talking to your character, you should have this many attributes and this many skills and this many stuff. But even then, there are different ways of implying that. So, you know, if you if you want a character who's combat focused, if you've managed to, and part of it is luck because a lot of it's rolling. I know you can, there's like, it got complicated when you can choose to like, you could just choose every single, or you can roll on every table. If you do the rolling one, you could easily end up with a character that's just, got a bunch of rubbish skills because not all the skills are equal yeah. or you could end up with it you know if you've done it the right way and picked the right careers you can end up with a character who is really good at sort of that two or three combat skills and has incredibly high focuses and um what was called expertise at that point point. and then you'd be yeah. really good at that stuff so your two characters can have gone through the same systems you kind of say like you know similar to a traveler thing and just not not ended up balanced, but that's not just the life path system. Something like we talked about vampire last week, it would be very easy. Although nominally, well, you put the same amount of dots into your character, but it's very easy to go. Well, if I put my dots in this way, my character is going to be better than if I put like, you know, the Jack of all trades, who's got a dot in everything, because some of that stuff is never going to come up.
0: However, if those things do come up and you have a character, if you attempt in a point by system, like vampire if or even i i'd say even like um well i think maybe to a lesser extent star trek adventures but i'll come back to that but a game like vampire where you have a you have a low a low number of fixed points that you put into relatively small bins or categories um you know you can either try to spread things out or you can try to min max yeah but if you min max and you find yourself in a situation where your min is uh, is is under the harsh <laughs> light of you know of, of demands then you, then you're in trouble but that's that's you know that's how you made your character yeah. again it's it's common it's it's the same mechanical inputs but it, that doesn't necessarily mean I, and this is where i guess the, the the whole the idea of balance which you know wherever it comes from the idea of hey let's make sure let's not have the one player at the table who has all single digit stats and yeah. the other one who's like all double digits and like you kind of suck and you, yeah. your your character's no fun to play. So the idea of common mechanical inputs to the character seems to answer that question, although I don't think it fully ever does. Yeah.
1: I mean, one of the other things I've seen in some systems where you kind of have traps in how you build your character. So the one that springs to mind is is the Star Wars Fancy flight system and then Genesis because... In that system, it's not—it's not clear when you start it. But you—you—you—you you, know—you have certain skills based on your careers, and you have your attributes, and then you get an X people to spend on other stuff. Right. What they don't make clear is, after character creation, the only way to ever boost any of your stats at all is to get to the bottom of one of those massive career trees which is like, you know, hundreds of XP and, you know, 10 right. sessions to be able to increase one stat by one. So at level one, you are always best off putting all of your extra XP into bumping your stats. So your skills mm. end up not being very good at level one and you have to put in, and. But if you don't realize that you might have oh, got all these cool skills, but you, you can't now ever bump your attributes. And it's kind of some, some systems do have things like that where you know, if you don't if you don't have that system mastery, which a lot if you're starting a new system, the players will not have system mastery. So you pick something. Oh, that seems okay, or that seems okay, and then people will tell you afterwards. Oh, well, you know that was rubbish. You know, you get that again in D and D and Pathfinder. Well, that feat's a waste of time. This is how you should build. Like you said, optimizing your characters. Because you that. can have that thing of a kind of trap where if you don't build your character the right way, then it just will be less good than it used to be. But again, is 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 that important? If you're building a character you're going to enjoy, then it's fine but there are some systems where you can actually build a character that looks like they will be fun, but has problems with it. And then, so yeah, that's, that's an issue with it. Yeah. I, the first game that I ever encountered that
0: I, and this is, cause I was thinking about this over the last few days, what was the first time I encountered a character building system that we would, that we might recognize as quote unquote balanced or was striving for or attempting to create some level of balance that is similar and comparable input Um, It was the Star Wars D6 from West End, because if you remember that it was template driven. There was a there was a whole collection of templates like the brash young pilot or the smuggler or the whatever, you know, and you had a certain number. I believe it was you had seven dice. Yeah. Something like, uh, and you would divide oh, those dogs. dice yeah. up among the skills and yeah. you would increase them and all the dice, all the skills and your stats were all dice, like 4d or 4d plus two or something like that. And so looking back, that was the first game that I ever came across that had that sort of, uh, it, it actually did two things. It had the templates, yeah. but then it also had a common number of points that everybody experienced. Uh, to use. Now, what's fascinating is in AD&D, the um, racial uh, racial stats, stat changes, and in the original uh, D&D, those ended up being a wash. So if you had like, if you had X many, like, if you had plus two to one thing, you'd have minus two to something else. So there was a nod. It's interesting, and I I mean, I doubt that was something that they, uh, who knows? I have no idea how much thought they put into it, but there was a nod toward the idea of you know, you didn't want to make a character, its race, you know, permanently, uh, giving it a permanent advantage over the others. And so they tried to create balance in that. That was something. Yeah, I think but the first But I don't one- remember it being a big thing until... And and this may well have been because this is when I came back more into like call it gaming as a hobby full time as with was with third edition D&D and the idea of the standard stat array and the idea of these very comparable at level uh, class abilities and feet access and how. Maybe what was available to you was different, but the fact that you had, well, I'm going to add plus this and one one of a select from one of these lists, and everybody gets that. It's only been like, I'd say, like, in my experience, about the last 20 years, where this idea
1: of character creation balance has become so normal. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because of the internet. Previous to the internet, you played a game with your mates. And maybe you, and you would only make a couple of characters. So you wouldn't necessarily play the whole pool of characters and be able to obviously see if something was balanced or unbalanced or this is too good and that's rubbish. But with kind of the internet, now you can reach out to, you know, not just your group or some other people, you know, maybe you've got a gaming club, but everyone's playing different games kind of thing. Now with the internet, you go, you know, you, you go onto like Reddit and Reddit and Facebook didn't exist then, but you could then go onto the internet and the internet had a voice there's a consensus on that you know when 5e came out the ranger was rubbish i mean the ranger is rubbish in 5e but you know then there's a consensus you don't need to have played the ranger in 5e to know the ranger's is rubbish because there's thousands of other people on the internet telling you that the ranger is rubbish although no i i guess, but no you,
0: actually that's a really good point and i and i i think i think you may be onto something because i'm gonna rise to that place. like i naturally don't I don't have so much of an interest in and I don't have so much of an eye for that optimization character build mindset and that kind of an an eye toward noticing game synergies. And I know people I've I've had players and had friends in gaming over the years who they just seem to have that as a sixth sense. And so when you're able to find people like that, you don't even know people like that exist until you (laughs) run into them on a message board You're like, oh my gosh. You did that with your fighter? What the heck? What am I thinking? You know, my guy's running around with like a boot on his head by comparison.
1: I'm not even good at that, but I know that I like doing it. I just, there'll be people who can do it better. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that me and Brian do. That's like when we made our characters with Strahd, Brian went and found out a ridiculous 5e combo. So he's the guy with the polearm fighter where with sentry, where if the character comes, if an enemy comes within your reach, which of course your reach is 10, foot, you get an attack on them and reduce their speed. Well, they now can't attack you and like i made scott the the warlock or the sorcerer with a warlock feat which gave them eldritch blast which means he can then do eldritch blast four times around yeah. like a gun turret which is but that's just like you know that's that's how i play the system as far. um yeah i mean the one that we do need to talk about is kind of actually mm. like you, you said point by but like really excessive point by so things like mutant and mastermind or yeah Other games. There's other games where I can't think, you know, we get like 500 points to build a character and everything has a points cost. You have a points cost for your attributes and your skills. It tends to be sort of superhero type things. So then you can put all your points into your various powers. And obviously, the idea of that is to try and create, if everyone's got the same amount of points um, and all of these points costs have been worked out, then your character should end up being balanced. But you Mm -hmm. have shaking your head. It's like it, it doesn't work because unless there's always some combination of powers that, even within, like, you know, I've heard of things in Mutant Mastermind, even in third edition where, you know, they've had two iterations of getting it right, where you can create some kind of weird time control powers that lets you, like, you know, just stop time and just kill everyone and then redo time and you've... yeah, become, always, And we're totally look, within the rules.
0: No matter what, there are, always, there are always weird synergies that designers will never recognize, that observant players will. Yeah. And that's not necessarily saying that those, the various pieces and parts that form the components of those synergies, that's not to say they're broken, but they, there's just no way to anticipate. And especially, I think the more points you you pour in and the more variables are, 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 are arrayed before a player to, to utilize in character creation and character development, I think that the more chances of that 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 phenomenon is just going to be there. Now, on the other hand, there's also just the issue of there are broken, you know, we, you and I know this, like you you play a game, you're like, Oh, the designers didn't think of that at all. And there's, there's just, you know, there are, there are flaws with the system mechanically, both of those things create those situations, but it really seems to me like the last 20 years, we've seen more and more games with this common input, a str- they're striving for balance. And yet I think the reality is it's, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's there. I mean, you know, Star Trek adventure, all the, all the, uh, two die 20 games aim for it because they're all essentially either life path
1: or, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, what do you want to call it? Like a, like a, a an explicit, well, it's like a, yeah, it's yeah. like a structured character creation, isn't it? They, I mean, the thing with the life, ones, the life path ones, if you're doing the life path where you roll, you can always end up with characters that may be marginally, maybe you end up in a career that you don't really want to. And you know, or like, a combination like of things that
0: don't necessarily work yeah, well with one. Like
1: one. the old Warhammer role-playing game where you ended up with a, you know, your character was a basically like a to toilet cleaner or something. They really didn't want to be doing it as a job. And but that 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 was your career and you got stuck in it and you just had to play it. But at least in that you knew you could move to a another career eventually. Yeah um but yeah most of the recent 2d20 ones you know you you get you get this much for your stats you get this much for your skills you get to pick some talents um here's your focuses and so you can't you can't massively change the characters what you can do of course is when the characters level up you can really start doing certain things i mean yeah 2d20 is quite hard to to break and again i think i think genesis and the Fancy flight thing on a similar thing is is similar and i i the newer editions of Vampire, obviously, Celerity breaks things. But I think any time when you've got sort of a consist- like a small scale of stuff, it's quite hard to break the system. Yep. Generally, these kind of dice ball things. where you're right. You're going to roll a number of dice. Your difficulty is a number of successes. You can make characters that are very good, but I think it's quite hard with that kind of system to break things. Whereas. Kind of where where you have sort of no top end, something like Savage World, where if you stick to that bottom end, it's very hard to have a broken character. The trouble is you can kind of push the like when we have superheroes or rifts or something, Mm -hmm. it goes beyond what the system is designed for, and that's where it starts having, you know, problems. I mean, D D did this. I remember in, in second edition, and then I think I say this and then we can move on to encounters. In second edition, um, we they released Dark Sun. And in Dark Sun, for some reason, they decided that rather than rolling yeah, rather than rolling your character on 3D6, you would roll it on 5D4. so your character' stats went up to 20 in Dark Sun second edition. Huh, now there's a yet. problem with Didn't this. Um, it's so your characters had higher bonuses because Dark Sun was gritty and uh, but it was you know gritty but powerful. But the problem was, obviously, if you went for a strength above 18,) <laughs> Back in second edition, strength didn't go 18, 19, 20. Strength went 18 percentile. right? Because there were no races that you could have that gave you a bonus to strength. So nothing could be above strength 18. So if you managed to get strength 18, you had, and I think you had to be a, I know you didn't have to fight fighter. You had percentile strength. You did so what actually, actually
0: happened- in in AD and D. In order to enjoy yeah. the eighteen to what eighteen to 18 to one hundred, you know the the one hundred, yeah. you actually had only a fighter could enjoy
1: that. Every other class just topped out at eighteen. So so this then had a problem because the, the essentially what you had in 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 Dark Sun is that if you managed to get a character with nineteen or twenty strength, which on five d four is difficult, but you could do it. If you managed to do that. Your strength, if you imagine what a strength table looks like, you know, you have your various pluses and bending bars, lift gate stuff. At You know, you had those at 14 and then 16 and 18. And then you have about 10 different things on the percentile table. And then you hit 19. So if you can make a character in Dark Sun 2nd Edition with a 19 strength, your character is bananas broken. Yeah, I had that. That was my character. He was wielding twin what were called tortoise blades, which gave bonus to AC and could do stuff, which he coated with poison.
0: So you have so so, so what you're saying is that although it's unlikely, there is a there was a a, a narrow opening to an incredibly broken land. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh.
1: And this is this is why Brian and Scott don't like being the GM and make me be the GM because I will find the ways to make the silly over the top characters that just. I love that character. Oh, he's so good. Well, what about that Encounters? That was a bard as well. What that a, was what a, that, For some reason, did dark some uh. Bards were, were assassins. Um, encounters. Well, I'm going to go with the really obvious one. Outside of D&D, there is no such thing that I've ever even seen, really, of the idea of Encounter Balance. It's, it's just and here's, not, here's something that not I look thing. back
0: in. In first edition, in that original box, the guidance, the, the guidance is already there. And the idea is that level is your character level. Level is also dungeon level. And level is also connected to monster hit dice, which is supposed to be connected to dungeon level. So a first yeah. level monster should be fighting a first level character on the first level of the dungeon. And so they, there was already this nascent like structure for... Building an encounter that would be uh, of of not what's the word I'm looking for like call it appropriate whatever that's supposed to mean like yeah. that that you're the player the characters would have a, a a decent chance of victory that was the idea an appropriate encounter was one that the players had a decent chance of victory through their characters against the monsters because the monsters were of the correct level for those characters and where they were meeting those monsters. And then that was built out more in, in second edition. And then by third edition, we get the advent of challenge rating.
1: I hate challenge rating. And yeah, like when you're trying to work, I'm just sitting there in my five E book, trying to work. Right. I've got my here's my encounter budget. Yeah. Right. So if I put these monsters, these monsters worth XP. However, no, I've picked more than one. If I have more than one of a monster, now there's a multiplier. Yeah. So now it's worth more. And then if you you know, I've literally had times where I spent half an hour trying to work out a balanced encounter, which then the party will either steamroll, yep, because the party's optimized, or they will die horribly because the bad guy happens to have an ability, which so things like I mean the, the classic one in, in most versions D D is un, anything that is immune to a normal weapons. Yep. Now they will have a relatively normal challenge rating. But then, they, well, not maybe not me. But if you just have re- if you have resistance, particularly in fifth edition, there isn't like you don't have damage resistance. All these complicated ones. If you are resistance, you take half damage. So the minute you've got a thing which is resistance to you know non magical bashing, slashing, and piercing, half the party can't damage it. Right. But it will still have a relatively average uh, whatever it is you know, challenge rating. But it completely wrecks the party because half the people are, they're not hitting it, or something with a high AC, which just everyone just keeps right. missing well
0: like that so the balance why, doesn't really work you know i i i thought remember with with third edition i thought the idea of cr was really interesting because then you if for for me at least i would have an idea story-wise how okay i have this encounter that fits within the story the encounter facilitates or pushes the plot in some way And I want it to be, I think it'd be cool if this encounter was kind of easy or it'd be cool if it were a little harder or whatever. And so the idea, the promise of challenge rating, uh, forget about the reality of it or the mechanics of it, the (laughs) challenge, the the promise of it sounded great. But I have over the years had the same experience that you've had. Is it uh, on a numbers side? It's a pain and so thankfully there's lots of websites where you can plug in you know plug in character levels and how many there are and supposedly how hard it and at least it spits out some kind of a budget or it spits out you know uh, a number of of uh, of enemies but it has been to me the balanced encounter that cr promises is a is a, a lie it it, it in reality even if you follow the rules perfectly in reality you you get x factors you get weird yeah. synergies again and you get you know player skill that plays into it and it, to say nothing of random chance which i mean that's just that's accepted as part of it but it it turns out to be something that as a as a gentleman i used to know would say he says the juice isn't worth the squeeze <laughs> like the effort that you pour into the numbers the maths of it don't act that actually yeah. doesn't pay off reliably. And I've always ended up when running, you know, fifth edition or third edition or Pathfinder, there's always a point in an encounter where you're like, uh, this isn't as hard as it's supposed to be. So then all of a sudden like more guys show up or you fudge yeah. rolls on your side of the screen to make it be what it is. So the idea of a balanced encounter it itself turns out to be maybe to me more of a lie or yeah. more of a falsehood rather than the idea of a balanced character.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had it in, in Strad, like, I don't know, third to last, second or third to last adventure, they were going through this cast and came up against, like, three whites, who were going to absolutely wreck them because we were struggling to damage them because not only were they resistant to normal attack, but they were resistant to psychic damage. And two of our characters, like, that's what they did was psychic yeah. damage. And so we couldn't damage them. and We had to just run away. And then in the next encounter, because we had the Sun Sword, Brian's Paladin just absolutely wrecks every vampire he comes across because it turns out if vampires are in anywhere near sunlight, they just take damage every round, yep. and it was doing radiant damage, so it was doing extra. And then when he came to fight Strad, like Strad was having to find ways to like stay out of the le- the the radius of the sword, right? Because otherwise he was going to die. But on but that sword isn't accounted for in the challenge rating. Yeah. So if you purely look on paper, it says this should be an in, almost insanely difficult encounter. But it wasn't the end. Of the, the end. They Stroud only won through having other people, like you said, other people turn up to help him, and then two of the PCs switch sides. That's the only way he won. He was going to get absolutely creamed because they had the Sun Sword. But let, let, um, let me let me so. jump in and ask you this though: that I, I think
0: you've got you know twenty plus years of of gamers playing D anD D who who. Uh, maybe they haven't put a whole lot of thought into this, or maybe it doesn't trouble them so much. It may be a combination of the two, but who who adhere to this regime of the idea of a balanced, balanced character creation and especially balanced um, encounters and how the, the GM should be able to like mathematically and with some degree of precision turn up or turn down the dial on how hard the encounter is uh, lacking that, what do you do? I think I have I mean, an I, answer, but I mean, like, lacking that, given that, I think, that expectation of that regime, what do
1: you do? I think this is the thing from an exper- you know, I have to call myself experience, because I've been GMing since I was 11. You're an so expert. I've been GMing for, like, you know, 30 years. Um, I mean, not consistently, but still. You eyeball it. I have to do the same thing in every other system that I have to do in D&D. You look at it and you look at the stats and you go and you eyeball it. and sometimes you know this is going to be a hard encounter mm-hmm. i mean the same thing happens in dnd you, you can look at the credit cha- credit rate look at the challenge rating and go okay actually on paper i can see this is meant to be an easy encounter but actually i know it's going to be hard because of this particular ability mm-hmm. or the flip side where it's like well i can see that this is meant to be a hard encounter but i know that, you know, the challenge rating is wrong. And in other systems that don't have that, you just, you know, I eyeball it. it, right? I know my PCs are like this, so I know if the bad guys are roughly like, well, again, it depends. Listen, if the if the heroes are trying to break into something, sometimes it's worth saying, look, actually, the people you're fighting against are on your skill level. They're as good as you. You're going to have to find a way around them. I think the harder thing actually isn't so much about balance. Sometimes it's about the P- when the PCs realize that this fight is unwinnable. You know, Which Yukobi, actually, I think
0: nowadays, in, in and I think because so many gamers come out of call it D and D land, um, you've it is it almost seems like the wrong thing to do to run from a fight,
1: like, because every PC is Kirk. There is no such thing as an unwinnable encounter. Right, you're right, but there is. I mean, actually, I was—that was the good thing in playing Strad. Is my players met Strad? I think twice, and the first two times they realised we're not even going to try. And there's one of these like, here's his stats. Yeah, we're not going to. But obviously, but that's how. And I think actually the answer to a lot of this stuff about balance is very simple. You have a GM. This isn't a situation where, like you said, the Warhammer thing. Where actually sometimes you know Games Workshop have got the balance wrong. Uh, you know, they've got the balance wrong and, you know, something isn't fair. You have a GM always there in a role-playing game. So if, if one character's too good and another character not good enough, the GM gives the second guy a magic weapon. In a fight, if things are going too badly, have a friend turn up or one of the things, swords breaks. And obviously in 2D20, we have this built in. So if the players have been burning, you know, threat left, right, and center, you have a stack to give yourself a fighting chance and if the and if the bad guys are losing you can have ninjas turn up in helicopters because it's it's in the system you're not even cheating <laughs> so this is why i never really worry about balance because balance to me you need balance in a in a competitive game role playing isn't competitive it's cooperative so why do you need to have balance and if you're
0: if it becomes competitive if the gm and the players are fighting one another you're doing something wrong
1: yeah exactly there we go. We solved balance. There
0: actually is competition between the two. You're doing something wrong. So I think you and I arriving at the end of this episode, it seems to me we are also arriving at the the, the conclusion that encounter balance is is bunk. And it's not worth sweating. Yeah. And is not worth paying attention to. Um character creation and character growth balance this may be something we can circle back to in the
1: future but but i I agree with you completely on the encounter side bunk yeah if you're if you're a new gm i can see why it'd be difficult but you just you know you'll get there and if you accidentally kill your players then good because it's worth doing don't kill your players
0: kill their characters
1: not the players time i say players
0: Disposing of character sheets is much easier than dis- disposing of real bodies.
1: So I recommend the former, not the latter. Yeah, don't worry about it. If you, if you accidentally kill the PCs, oh, well, it's not the end of the world. That's better than, you know. And if they steamroll every encounter, then you and have And if fun. your
0: players flip out because their, their characters died, that's something that tells you about those players.
1: Get better players.
0: Find other ones. There we go. All right. Okay, so balance is bunk. Balance in, in, is bunk. We'll come back to that more, though, in the future. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.